When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me, since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that it's life to us, health to us. Lord, and there's more courage in it than we can find anywhere else. I thank you that we look into it today, knowing that you're looking into us. And I thank you, Lord, that we, your children, receive from you as each one of us have need of today. Give us our daily bread, the living bread that we need today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're nearing the conclusion of the book of Acts. Only maybe a couple weeks left there as the Lord leads. Uh, but just a quick recap. No, I know pretty much everybody knows where we've been and what we've been doing in there. The book of Acts follows right after Christ was crucified, dead, buried, and risen, right? So you think Easter Sunday, right after that, he spent time with his disciples, speaking to them about the kingdom of God, also telling them that he was going to go away, but that he was going to send a comforter, a helper. He was going to send the spirit. Uh, and we see that happen in the book of Acts chapters one and two. Uh, on Pentecost Sunday, the spirit falls. Uh, the message of the gospel is preached. Thousands believe and the church has begun. The church that Jesus set in motion, lit on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see them going about and evangelizing first to the Jews there in Jerusalem. Jesus said in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria and the other most parts of the earth. And they start there in Jerusalem. But we see it expanded out to the Gentiles. Uh, when Peter goes to Cornelius and we see when the gospel goes forth, there's repentance and there's also resistance uh, that the gospel demands a response. And it's going to get one of those two repentance or resistance. And one who was resistant, it was a man named Saul and he was persecuting the church. And we meet him about midway through the book of Acts and we see him be uh, completely transformed after an encounter with Jesus. His, his heart, life and mind and direction completely changed. And then he becomes one of God's missionaries, one of his apostles uh, going about and proclaiming the name of Jesus, this gospel, this good news to all who would hear it and see it mighty things happen because of that. We see him go out with Barnabas first and then later with Silas. And we see this happen over years. And then towards the end of the book, he has his sights set back towards Jerusalem. He said, it's time for me to go to Jerusalem. And all of his friends say, you shouldn't go. Bad things are going to happen to you if you go there. He's like, I'm going there. They were like, look, no, they will probably imprison you and kill you if you go back to Jerusalem. And he's like, I understand what you're saying. I'm still going back to Jerusalem. I'm compelled by Christ to go to Jerusalem and be his witness there. And then even past that, and of course, he goes to Jerusalem and his presence there causes a riot. And he's the one arrested because he was the one... He 
his presence stirred up all of this and the mayor tries to figure out what, what's happening here. Why is this guy causing this much uh, energy in my city? Why isn't everything calm? And he can't figure it out because it doesn't seem like to him Paul has done anything wrong. And so he refers him up to the governor and the governor can't figure it out. It doesn't seem like to him that Paul has done anything wrong except the Jews of that little area want to kill him. And then he says, well, I'll just send you back and you can deal with them. I don't have anything against you. You can go deal with them. Paul goes, no, if I go back there, they're going to kill me. I'd rather not get killed like that. I want to go to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar the, over all of Rome at that time, which was spreading out into a large part of the world. He said, I want to stand before Caesar. And so we see him go to Rome through shipwrecks and through difficulty. And then last week we saw him arrive there a little bit discouraged, dealt with a lot, but it said he saw the brethren, he thanked God, and he took courage. And this is right after that. And what we're going to see this week, Paul calls together the Jewish leaders. He calls them together to a meeting and he's going to tell them why he's there in Rome and why he's in chains or why he is restrained. And again, let's talk about Paul for, for just a second here because this kind of hit me uh, looking back through this when I was going through the... Uh, the recap there is he could have retired. Right? I mean, he's not a young man. He's an older man at this point. Maybe not super senior citizen yet, but he's an older man. He's done so much in his life. He's got the opportunity to do a little bit of a trade here or there or teach here or there to, to, to sustain himself. He could have retired in Antioch where everybody loved him, where everybody thought he was awesome, where everything was going good. He could have helped send out other ministers in, into, into parts of the earth. He could have retired in Antioch, and yet he's in Rome, and he's wearing a chain. And he didn't have to be there. He knew that this was going to happen if he went there. He knew this was going to be part of it, but he didn't have to do it. The only thing compelling him to do it was what? his Savior, Jesus Christ. He could have retired in ease, but he said, Jesus has asked me to go. Jesus has put in front of me the people in Jerusalem and the people in Rome, and I can't shake it. I know it's going to be difficult, but I can't shake it. And so I, I, I just thought he had to ask himself probably over and over, why am I doing this? When you're going through something difficult, you ask yourself, because everything, whenever, when things get difficult, the vision on what's going on gets real compact. You can't see very far ahead into the future. You can't see very far off to the side. Either way, everything gets real compact. And so it's important for you to remember why it is you're doing what you're doing, why you are where you are, right? It can be difficult when you're raising those kids when they're little. It can be really hard. Those days can be tough and you have to remind yourself, here's why I'm doing this. Number one, I love them. I really love them. I promise I do. I love them. And what am I wanting? I'm wanting them to grow up and to be healthy, to be successful, to be productive, to be uh, everything that I have in my heart for them to be. And so you have to remember that in that moment. And so he's probably asking himself, why am I here? He probably had to reinforce that to himself over and over. And we can ask ourselves the same question. Why are we here? Why? Are we here, not just here in this building, not just here on Sunday morning, but why, am I, why are you here? I mean, I'm talking about the space that you're occupying this right behind your nose. Why are you 
here? Why do you see that you are here? And, and the reason for, for different people might be different. If you talk to a believer, the, the reason why they say they are here is going to be different than an unbeliever. And then also, why Paul, he's going to explain to them why he's there, but also why he's got a chain on. Why he is restrained. And I think that's another thing we have to be able to answer both in ourselves and to others. As a believer, we don't walk like just anybody walks. We don't act like just anybody acts. We are restrained, right? There, 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 there is some reserve there that, that we walk in and we have to remember why it is we do that. Why am I here and why am I restrained? Because as a Christian, you'll do things differently than you would have otherwise done them. Why? It's what he's going to explain to them, but I believe it's a question we have to ask ourselves. And Kelly and I got to get away for a couple of days in this last week, amazing time. And, and when, you, when you get separated from all your normal obligations, when you get separated from all of the uh, busyness of life, you have time for more contemplation like that. The, the Remember, why am I here? It helps us as a couple to get away to go, hey, we are more than just somebody's mom and dad. We still like each other and we like to spend time together. But, but we, we remember like, where am I right now in this life? And I always tell you, it's hard to ask yourself questions like that every day. Like you don't wake up every day while you're eating breakfast and go, what's the meaning of life? You know, you don't do that every day. You think, what am I packing for lunch? Have I got the kids stuff? Have I got this? Have I got that? And you get, you get things going, but it's so important to back up every once in a while and pick your head up from the busyness, pick your head up from just the one thing in front of the other and go, what am I? doing? What am I doing here and why? I know you're excited about those big questions, but that's what Paul is asking. He's asked himself and now he's going to explain it to them. He's in Rome. He's in chains and he gathers the Jewish leaders and he's going to explain to them why he's there and why he is restrained. And he starts by telling them the reasons he's not there which I think is interesting. He starts by telling them, this is, this is not why I'm here. So you see, he, he draws them together. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So his first thing he says is, I'm not here because I've done something wrong. I'm not here because I've done something wrong. I'm not here because I'm guilty. Which, in other words, I'm not here because I have to be. I'm not here because something I've done or that I'm trying to work off. I'm not, I'm not paying a penance. I'm not guilty. And he says, I'm also not here to bring a charge against our people. He, he says, after they examined me, they wanted to release me since there was no reason for the death penalty. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. He's like, I'm not here to, to talk ugly about them, to talk ugly about you in front of Caesar. I'm not here because of something I've done. I'm not here to bring a charge against somebody else. But let's look at those first two. Why are you here? Why are you following Christ today? Is it because you've, you've done something wrong and you feel guilty? He says that's not why he was there, Right? Is it because you think you need to do something in order to not be guilty? Are you paying a penance? 
He says that's not why he's there. What else, what, what else did he say? The reason that I'm here today isn't to bring a charge against you. It's not to condemn you. I'm not walking with Christ so I can condemn others, so I can point down to them and go, at least I'm not like them. At least I don't walk like he walks, act like he acts, talk like he talks. He's like, I'm not here because I've done something wrong or that I'm trying to do something right. And I'm not here to bring a charge against anybody else. Why does he tell them that he's there? And why is he restrained? Verse 20, for this reason, I've asked to see you and to speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. So not number one, that he's done something wrong. Not number two, that he's there to condemn them or bring a charge against them. But number three is the reason why he's there. Because of the hope of Israel, I wear this chain. Now that sounds a little bit weird to us at first. Paul isn't saying, I'm the great hope of Israel. I'm the only one that can save Israel. I had to come so that y'all would finally hear, you would finally know I'm the hope of Israel. He's not referring to himself. And it's not a term that we might be familiar with, but it is certainly something that would have resonated with them. Because as the nation of Israel, they were looking for something. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the completion of the promise. They were looking for the consolation of Israel. And what he's telling them is what you're looking for, what you've been waiting for, that's why I'm here. That is why I'm here. The hope of Israel echoed all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to the book of Genesis. When God called a man who had only a wife but no children out from among his family and said, I'm going to make a family for myself and, and I'm going to do this by my own power. You don't have anybody to hand this down to, but I'm going to make this the largest family on the face of the earth. And... In this line, in this family, all the nations of the world will be blessed. It turned something over then and began something of God saying, I will once again dwell with my people. I will once again rule in righteousness and justice on the face of the earth. It was an answer to man's deepest longing, which is to dwell with God. And to do that, he was going to send the Messiah. He was going to offer resurrection, eternal life to the people that thank God this life isn't all that there is. And to accomplish that, there was going to have to be forgiveness of sins. He was going to have to be uh, bruised for our transgressions, as it says in the Old Testament. That he was going to be the sacrifice for our sins so that we, they first could be cleansed and then dwell with him forever. Amen. That's the hope of Israel that he's alluding to when he says that. When he says, I'm not here because I did something wrong and I'm not here to bring a charge or a condemnation against you. It's for the hope of Israel that I'm here. What you've been waiting for, what you've been looking for, that's the reason that I'm here. And we get a glimpse of Jesus talking about this in the book of John. And I'm going to turn back there. It's in John 11.
John 11, it's when his friend Lazarus had died. And Jesus is going to where Lazarus lived with his sisters Mary and Martha, right? When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary remained seated at the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That's hope of Israel talk. She said, I know there's going to be a resurrection at the last day. I know that all the death uh, for us is going to be undone with life. I know that's going to happen. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the son of God who comes into the world. This is what they're hearing. These types of thoughts that Martha's uh, verbalizing there. This is what they're thinking in their mind when Paul says the hope of Israel. And we see it when Jesus was speaking to her. He said, your brother's going to rise again. She said, I know there's the hope on the last day. I know that he will. There's the hope that's out there that, that, that's a far off, but it's there and I'm holding to it, Jesus. And he says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. And those that believe in me, though they die, they will live. Amen. This is the hope of Israel. This is the promise that the Messiah will come, that he will fulfill God's promise to man. He will dwell with them. It's salvation, it's safety, and it's resurrection. Again, that this life isn't all that there is. It can seem like this is all that there is. It can seem like it, this is permanent because this is all that we've known. It's all that we've experienced. We've always been here, but we know that there is an end to it and we have to have an answer in life and for death. And he gives us that in the hope of Israel, the promise of resurrection, all that God has promised, he will bring to pass. And Paul is telling them what you're looking for. That's why I'm here. What you've been waiting for. That is why I am here. And he's also telling them, I've not ceased to be a faithful Jew. I was looking for the hope of Israel. I was expecting the hope of Israel. I had everything hung on the hope of Israel. I was holding that promise in hand and now I've seen it fulfilled. The hope of Israel. When you hear that word hope, it's not the same as what, the way we would use it. Right? Or are those... Uh, are those bananas going to be right for me to have one for breakfast tomorrow? I hope so. Right? It's like, maybe. It'd be nice if they were. I hope they will be. That'd be good. Maybe they probably, maybe not, but maybe so, right? It, it, we usually we use it as like a maybe. You going to be able to make it to the barbecue this week? I hope so. Means maybe, right? When he's talking about the hope of Israel, it's not with a maybe. It's with a confident expectation. It's not maybe. It's it is. 
It exists. It holds fast. It doesn't change. It is itself eternal. And so it lasts for eternity. It doesn't mean maybe. And that's what he's saying. Confident, joyful expectation that you're looking forward to something that is without doubt going to happen. That is your Hope. And in, in Acts, we see this hope of Israel. We see it expanded to call the Gentiles in as well. It's not just the hope of Israel. It's the hope of the world. The only hope that the world has. It's big. It's huge. It's gigantic. It's more than we could ever imagine. And it's also individual. It's the hope of Israel. It's the hope of the world. And it's the hope of Stephen. It's the hope of put your name in the blank. It is the hope of all of us. And so when we ask the question, why are we here? And why are we restrained? Why do I walk different than I would otherwise walk if I wasn't in Christ? Why am I here in Christ? Why, why am I walking with him? Why am I restraining myself from what I would otherwise do? And the answer is the hope of Israel. The answer is him. It's him. It's the hope of all of us and the hope of each one of us. And again, hope, the hope that we find in him isn't a maybe. A lot of our other hopes are maybes. Think about all the hopes that have failed you this week, right? I hope it'll rain so my grass doesn't die. <laughs> I hope that I'll be able to pass this test, that I'll be able to rest on my own intellect and be able to pass this test. I hope this works out, that I'm able to do this. All the things that, that, that fail and fall and the hopes that are dashed. You think about all the hopes that have failed in the last week, month, year, decade. This hope has never failed. This hope is not like those hopes. And what we'll talk was one of the things that we're going to talk about when we finish the book of Acts. We're going to go in and we're going to talk about our soul for a little bit. We're going to talk about the different things that our soul can put its hope in that's not God. And how that hurts us, harms us, and, and, and points out again that he is our only hope. Amen. But I can't trust in my intellect. I can't trust in my strength. I can't trust in my sustenance because, again, it may work today. But what about tomorrow? What about 10 years from now? What about 50 years from now? Am I going to be able to trust in my, trust in my body and put hope in that, that in my body at, well, I say 50 years from now, 90 years old, that I'm going to be able to do what I want to do, get done what I need to get done, and everything's going to rock and roll just like it should? I can't put my hope in that. I can't put my hope in that, but he is our hope, hope for our lives, hope for our bodies. That when I get to be 90 or 100 or 110 or 120, that's what I'm shooting for, I think, 120. It's going to be a little while. But that when my body doesn't do what I want it to do, when I'm not able to function like I want to be able to function to go, thank God this isn't where it ends. Thank God this isn't all that there is. If I deal with sickness, if I deal with pain, thank God this isn't all that there is. But I have a hope in him. Hope of, if nothing else, resur the resurrection. Hope of, if nothing else, everlasting 
life with him. Hope sees that true. The, the Bible word is righteousness or rightness or when things are as they ought to be. It sees that true righteousness that's in him and lays aside any self-righteousness, anything that I could think of. Well, I did this, so I should be able to or I can do this, so I should be able to. I, I can stand like this. I can do that. All of that's going to fall away because it's based in me. It starts with self and that means it's not going to be good long term. But the true righteousness that comes from him never pulls up short. My self-righteousness always does. That's why Paul was there. That's why he's telling them that he is there in Rome, restrained. He's like, I, and again, he didn't have to be there. He could have retired in Antioch. He could have been playing shuffleboard or whatever he, he wanted to do. He could have been fishing. Could have been making tents and just teaching and conversating and enjoying his last days on the earth in peace. But he's like, I can't do that. I'm here not because of something I've done, not because I'm here to bring a charge against you. I'm here because I found the hope that you're looking for. And I just can't stand the thought that you might not hear about it. I just can't stand the thought. Christ has compelled me. He won't let me shake it. I couldn't enjoy myself just going off and doing what I wanted to do because what he's given me to want to do is to be here with you today to tell you about this hope. That's why he was there. He's telling them that he too was waiting for the hope of Israel, for the consolation of Israel. If you remember Simeon all the way back at the uh, beginning of the book of Luke, who was at the temple day in and day out waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then he got to hold baby Jesus. And he told, he said, Lord, now I can depart in peace. Now I can depart in peace because you've, you've shown your servant that, that you're true to what you say. I know that your word is true and I know your promise is fulfilled. And he just held the baby in his arms. He said, I was also waiting for the hope of Israel. And then I found out his name is Jesus. But it's not just the hope of Israel, but the message of hope is being preached to all the nations of the world. Because that was the promise from Abraham on down is that in this, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And this is the blessing. This is the hope. And we see it referenced in Scripture Peter would write about it. Did I flag that one? I'll read it off of here. First Peter one, three and four. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy. Not because of anything we've done. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading and kept in heaven for you. He would go on to tell them rejoice in this even when you are grieved through trials. Even when you deal with difficulties, even when you deal with problems, even when you deal with pains. Take encouragement from this. Rejoice in this. God in his great mercy has given us new birth into the living hope. 
through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and he's given us an inheritance. What does that mean? Something that's stored up for us that we can rely on in the future that's imperishable. He said, everything else you've known has, has perished. What have y'all ever made that hasn't worn out? What have you ever found that was good that didn't run out? Money will run out. Food will run out. Shelter will run out or fall apart. What have you ever been able to create or walk in that didn't perish or get defiled or fade away? He's like, this hope is not like those hopes. It is everlasting and it's kept in heaven for you. Again, hope in him is not the maybe. It's not I hope I make it. It's he's my living hope. I will make it. In grief, I'm, I'm making it. In pain, I'm making it. In death, Amen. I made it. I made it. I made it. Even when all those things come, just like we said, unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ lives. Christ, he lives. And so I live also in him. This hope isn't maybe I'll make it. This, that is the hope. No, the hope is you will make it. You will make it. And he tells us to hold on to that. In Hebrews chapter 6, I know I'm referring to a few of these, but I want you to see this thread that runs through even just the letters in the New Testament. Hebrews 6 and the latter part of verse 18. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. Verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, because it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. He's writing to the Hebrews. They would have understood what that meant. But for us, we can even read it and say, we who have fled for refuge, we who needed a safe place to go, we who needed a spot where we could rest and be safe and be at ease, might have strong encouragement to seize the hope that is set before us. Set before us, like somebody would set a table for you for you to just come and sit and partake. Uh, the hope that's set before us, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. What else do you have that's firm and secure? What else do you have that doesn't expire, that doesn't wear out, that's imperishable, that's unable to be defiled, which means messed up by the world encroaching in? What else do you have that's unfading? It says this hope is an anchor for our soul. It says it goes in behind the veil into the very presence of Almighty God is what they would have heard, where God himself dwells. That's where your hope is hooked. And that's what you're hanging on to because he said it in front of you. Amen. Let us who have fled for refuge be strongly encouraged to seize the hope that is set before us. One more. This is one of the best ones. Let's keep getting better. Titus. Titus chapter 2. Who wrote Titus? Paul. To his friend, beloved son in the Lord, 
Titus. Chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possessions who are eager to do good works. When I read that this weekend, I was like, I, I could do a whole series just in these few verses right here. I could just sit in here and stay for all. I just, it, it blessed me so much to see that the grace of God has appeared in Jesus. The grace of God has appeared, bringing what? Salvation first to all people. Also bringing instruction, instructing us to deny godlessness, restraining us from the ways that we used to live that would now be seen as, oh, that hurts, harms me and takes me further away from him. So it saves me, instructs me, and then also gives me patience as I wait for the blessed hope. So when we ask, why are we here and why are we restrained? Paul does a pretty good job of building it out here in Titus because the grace of God has appeared before me, bringing salvation and also instruction so that while I wait patiently for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from our lawlessness, from our old ways and to cleanse us for himself. He didn't tell us we had to get clean before we could show up. He said that he would cleanse us for himself, that we would be a people for his own possession that are what? Eager to do good works. Why am I here? Why am I restrained? This blessed hope. Who saved me, instructs me, and waits for me at the end because he redeemed me and cleansed me so that I would be one of his, when, when, you, when it talks about that people, we, we, we can get lost in it, but it would be his own nation, his own kingdom, people that weren't his, just like Abraham, that now are his and reside under his blessing, not because they were good, but because he is good and will dwell with him forever. People that are eager to do good works. That's why Paul was there. There was a good work that needed to be done. It wasn't going to be easy work. It was going to be a difficult work. On the surface, it wouldn't have made sense to people that are just looking at it economically, looking at it uh, socially. Like, why would you do this? You could just go over here and do this and have it easy. He's like, I'm eager to do what's going to be good in the eyes of Jesus Christ and what's going to bring hope and put it before these others. So, Paul, why are you here in Rome? Not because I've done anything wrong or not because I'm trying to do something right in order to get in God's good graces. And not because I've come here to condemn you. He's like, I've not come here just so I can talk ugly about y'all. I hadn't come here just so I can tell you all the things that are wrong with you. I came here because of the hope of Israel. That's why I'm here and that's why I'm wearing this chain. 
And so how do we apply this in our life? When we go out, when we're talking to people, when we're spending time in the community, and we're called upon, as Peter would say, to give an answer for the hope that's on the inside of us. He's like, you should be ready to give an answer for the hope that is on the inside of you. Paul lays it out right there for us. I'm not here because I've done anything wrong. I'm trying to pay penance and I'm not here because I'm trying to do something right in order to build myself up. And I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not coming to condemn you. I'm coming out here because I found the hope. I have found the hope. Why are you restrained? Why are you different? That's going to require explanation from people, isn't it? It's because of the hope that's on the inside of me. It's because God and his grace and his mercy set salvation before me. Grace appeared to me and it brought salvation and it also brought instruction. And then with that, it gave me patient, the ability to patiently endure as I wait for the complete fulfillment of the promise that he gave me. I see some of it now. I'll see more of it tomorrow and I'll see it completely on that last day. And again, it's not a hope that's a maybe. His hope isn't maybe. That's our hope. That's the best we can do is a maybe. His hope is an anchor for our soul. It is for the hope of Israel that I'm here and wearing this chain. Again, the hope of Israel is the hope of America. It's the hope of the world. It's the hope for each and every one of us, each and every person that we would come into contact with. And so when we talked last week about gathering with the brethren, yes, amen, we gather with the brethren. But the brethren aren't just a social club where we get together around nothing in particular. The brethren are gathered around the blessed hope. They're not the, the brethren just off on their own. They're the brethren of the blessed hope. It's what they gather around. It's what we gather around. Again, it's not trying to do something right. It's not penance because we've done something wrong and it's not coming to condemn anybody else is to lay out the hope that Christ has laid out before us. And again, it brings some things with it. Grace has appeared and it brought salvation and it also brought instruction. Don't you, you love that? You see how that works? He said it brought salvation and then it brought instruction. This is how those who have experienced salvation would best walk. This is what you should be eager to involve yourself in. And these are the things you should be eager to avoid. Separate yourselves from. Why? Because of the hope. Because of the hope. And what, what else is there? What other hope is there? There's, not, there's nothing that can compete. We let things compete for our time, our attention, our affection. But when you line it up, what else can compete? If you're comparing and contrasting, what else can compete to the hope of glory? Nothing. Everything else falls. Everything else fades. Everything else is perishable. Nothing else can stand to compare to him. That's why Paul basically said to them, I'm here for the hope that I found. And I'd rather be here in a chain telling you about it than be retired in Antioch. I'd rather be here with a chain on because I know y'all might not have heard about it yet. And I want to make sure because he's put it on my heart. God had put it on his heart so much to go to Rome and to preach and declare this hope that he just couldn't not go. And we felt some of those things on our heart. Thankfully, he hadn't called many of us to go the route that Paul had to go. He told him at the beginning, I'm going to show him. He told Ananias, 
I'm going to show Saul all the things he's going to have to do. I'm going to show him how he'll suffer for my name. But notice he never stopped. And he never said to God, I feel like I've done enough now. I feel like I'm, I'm really, I mean, enough now, right? Now we can stop. No, he's still writing stuff like this, like he wrote to Titus when he said, it's, Titus, grace has appeared to us and it brought salvation and it brought instruction and it brought the blessed hope. That's why we're here, Titus, because he was encouraging Titus. Hey, keep on. Tell him to do what's right. Tell them the right thing in, in life. Tell them how the kingdom works. Tell them how the kingdom operates. Tell them to love each other. Tell the young men to stop acting stupid and start acting better. And tell the old men to be good examples for them. And the same thing for the ladies. Tell people that work for other folks to do it the right way. He's like, tell them to do it the right way because of the salvation that has already appeared and the hope of grace that exists. Paul said, that's why I'm here. Because I used to be just like you. I used to be waiting for the hope and then he found me. Then he showed up in my life and that's why I'm here. So again, application as we finish up, when we go out, we need to do so mindful of the hope. We need to lay it in front of us. That's why we gather with the brethren. So we gather around the blessed hope because we can real easy get distracted by the other things going on. We can real quick get thrown off track by other things that would come up. When we see it, the hope, savor it, hold on to it, see the beauty of it, rejoice in it. That's what Peter said. Even if you're even if you're grieved by trials, rejoice in the hope. Speak on it both to yourself and to others so that you can be confident, able to get a, give an answer for the hope that is on the inside of you and hold it and let it hold you. Because thankfully, this isn't a hope that we have to like white knuckle cling to and hold on or else we'll fall and be gone. When I reach for it, he's already reaching for me. When I'm holding him, it's because he's holding me like I'm holding red over here a while ago. Is red holding me or am I holding him? He's holding on, but I've really got him. I? That's how it is with us and him. So when we go out, when we speak out, when we act out, we want to do it that way based in the hope. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm restrained from how I might otherwise walk. This is why I'm restrained from how I might otherwise interact with you, which would be what? Selfishly. That's the way we're generally going to do it on our own. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm restrained. It's for the hope of Israel that I wear this. But he did it with joy. So we see the brethren. We thank God. We take courage. That's coming out of last week. And then we look at what we've gathered around. Amen. We look at what we've gathered around, this great grace that has appeared, that brought salvation and instruction and patience and perseverance as we look forward to the blessed hope, the complete and total fulfillment that we see in our hearts beginning to work its way out into our lives and that will be our hope in all of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are our true and living hope. You're a hope that is an anchor for our soul that we can rest in and cling to. That this blessed hope has appeared.
that we were looking for him. We didn't know his name was Jesus, but we found out that is who you are. We had no hope outside of you, but you've come to be hope for us and in us that we can cling to. When everything else fades, I thank you that we're, we're going to walk through this life and we're going to experience so much joy and so much gladness. But Lord, that we would never let them, uh, we would never let them rise to the level of dependence that we put on the hope that you've given us in Christ Jesus. And when we're grieved by things, situations, sorrows, the difficulties of life, when we're reminded that we're just temporary here, this body is temporary, this mind is temporary, everything that we can build up with our own hands and our own intellect is temporary, but you are not. And we can rejoice in this hope, even if we're grieved by various trials, because this isn't all that there is. And you brought your own self, you put on flesh and blood like what we wear and came into this world as we are, so that you would not, you would know what it was like to be, so that we could know you. And I thank you for the things that you'll put on our heart where we could do the easy thing. Or we can do the thing that you've put in our heart to do. That we'll be like Paul and go, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm restrained. It's because of the blessed hope that found me. His name is Jesus. And I rest in him. Both now in life and in death and on the other side of death. When I'm with him forevermore. Thank you for the hope that it would fill our eyes. And as we go out from gathering with the brethren that we go out with the hope in mind and at the center of ourselves. Guys, we go, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with each other. For those that are out and about, I know we got families traveling, enjoying their time together. Bring them safely back to us. Lord, I know we have those working today. I thank you that you gird them up with strength, uh, that they will be strong in you and in the power of your mind. Lord, those that are out from us in weakness today, we pray over them and we agree with them that the spirit on the inside of them will sustain them even in physical weakness and you will bring them rest and peace and restore them to health in Jesus name. God, we thank you. We love you. And we rejoice in the hope that we have been found by that we now rest in in Jesus name. Amen.